turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. It seemed a fitting psalm to focus on missions right after we ended our series in the book of Jonah, which is all about bringing the word of God to the heathen nations, especially the nation of Nineveh. And so ultimately, let's have a word of prayer before we enter into our text. Psalm 96. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness and I thank you for your word. Your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It is powerful. It is living. It is life-giving. And I pray that your spirit would come upon your word now, that we would hear a message for our hearts to encourage us, to strengthen us, to put missions on the map of our hearts, that you would work in us a passion for the nations, that you would work in us a desire to sing unto you, to praise you, to proclaim you, to rejoice in you, to delight in your goodness. And I pray, Lord God, that your word would be empowered now, that you would prepare our hearts, and Lord, that you would guard my mouth, that I might speak your word faithfully and truthfully and accurately and that anything else would fall to the ground but that your word and your spirit would bring together a message that would minister to our hearts and lord that you would send us out proclaiming the gospel of jesus christ to a nations to the nations who do not have you to the nations who have not heard who have not heard about jesus christ and the glories of the gospel who are without hope in this world apart from that message. So we pray that you would come and meet with us now, that you would do a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 96. Psalm 96 is uh, clustered among a group of psalms, Psalm 93 to about 100, called the Magisterial Psalms. And these psalms are all exalting the kingliness of God. The Lord reigns. And the message is meant for the nations. That the Lord reigns over everything. He's the king over it all. He's the king who's sovereign over the hearts of men and women. He's sovereign over the earth and all that is in it. He's sovereign over the universe and over every molecule. The Lord is king. And that's the message of these cluster of psalms. But then we get to Psalm 96. And this psalm is different. Hear the words of Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. 
Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. And he will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples in faithfulness. Behold, Psalm 96 is about the glory of God being proclaimed among the nations and, and birthing in the hearts of God's people a song, a song that moves from singing to proclamation among the nations. And I was thinking of Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott wrote in his journal, he was a missionary, he wrote in his journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. These are the famous words of a missionary named Jim Elliott, who spent several years in the 1950s, early 50s, studying linguistics and learning Bible translation so he could take the message of the gospel and translate it and create a Bible in the language of the Aka Indians in Ecuador. And so he and about four other men and their families went to Ecuador. They had a heart for the nations. And so they go to Ecuador and they arrive and they're doing ministry and things seem to be going well. They get a plane ride to one of the Indians and they think this is looking good. And ultimately... What ends up happening through a, a series of God's sovereign purposes, some of them dark providences, some of them about to be glorious providences unleashed through what would happen. But the Indian who was given the plane ride went back and told his tribe and they didn't like it and they were upset and they thought that these men were the enemy. And so they came and they took Jim Elliott and the five men who were with him and they killed them. There's a movie about it called The End of the Spear. Several books have been written about it. And you think, what a waste of a life. Maybe you think, what a waste. He spent all these years to go take the gospel to the nations and he's cut down before the gospel really gets out. A man who said he is no fool to give what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. But what you don't know is the rest of the story. Jim left behind a wife named Elizabeth Elliot and a daughter. And she would go on to write a biography 
of what happened. And Nate Saint, who was one of the other men, his son would take up the missionary work to the Ecuador Indians, the Aka Indians, and the very men who actually killed Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, these very men would hear the gospel through the family members who went back and took up the mantle of gospel proclamation, went back years later, and a revival broke out among the Indians. And some of the very men who were throwing spears, killing missionaries, became Christians. And the gospel was translated into the language. And the Lord began a movement of missions among America that missionaries were inspired by the story of Jim Elliot. He was like a seed that died and fell into the ground and sprouted up gospel fruit everywhere. And missions began to go out across the nations into the 1040 window. And men were emboldened and women were emboldened to take the gospel to the nations. Why? How does, a, how does a man like that get created who will say he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose? How does that man kind, of, kind of man be born? How does that happen in our own hearts where we're, we're stirred with the message of the gospel so much so that we'd be willing to risk all for the sake of people coming to know Christ? It happens when you're ignited by Psalm 96. When you're helped to realize that it starts with a song in your hearts, brothers and sisters. It starts in verse 1. It starts with a song. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Did you notice that? This song is unto the Lord, but it's also... A song meant to be sung to the nations. This psalmist has the nations on his mind. This psalmist has a heart for all peoples to come under the submission and under the worship of the true and living God. And it can only happen when souls are ignited among the people of God to take the name of Christ to the nations. That's what this psalm is designed to do, to awaken worship to awaken praise, to awaken a new song in your heart that will sing unto the Lord and that will be sending out on mission to proclaim his name among the nations, to say the Lord reigns. Oh, that the Lord would do that in our souls. Oh, that the Lord would awaken us to the world missions that we would put the world on our back because we have a God who's able to sustain us as we take the message to the world. This was never meant to stay in Jerusalem. It was never meant to stay just in Judea. It was meant for the world. And when you get your heart around that, brothers and sisters, when you begin to get your heart around that and you go to websites like the Joshua Project or Operation World Mission and you see what's going on out there and how many people are perishing without the gospel, then you're going to be reminded of the words of John Piper who said, missions exist because the worship of God doesn't. 
Missions exist in our world. We've got to go share the gospel because the worship of God is not happening around us. That's why people do not care about the, the, the glory of God. That's why the glory of God is being belittled all around us. And the worship of other things and the aggrandizement of other things are going on. Idolatry all around because missions needs to happen to awaken it. The gospel needs to go out to open eyes and ears that they might hear. So there's just three basic ways that I want to navigate through this text as we're kind of stirring awake to the things of God and the global passion to proclaim his name among the nations. We want to look at the new song that the Lord is going to put in our hearts. Sing to the Lord. We want to look at the declaration that we're to make to ascribe glory to the king. Caleb was saying that earlier, right? Ascribe glory to the king. He's worthy of it. And then, finally, we're going to see that there's a coming. We're going to be rejoicing in the coming judge who will restore order to all things and he will judge the world in righteousness and he will recreate it. And even the rocks and the trees and the creation itself will bow and worship and rejoice in that day. So let's go through those one at a time. Sing to the Lord. Look at verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations and His marvelous work among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. It is a powerful testament and reality that this psalm directs our hearts to sing praises to the Lord. If you think about it, this song commands us. It says three times, sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord all the earth. And then again, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. This is a command. This is something the Lord is summoning us to. He's summoning a work in our hearts. He's creating something fresh inside us. And have you ever noticed, brothers and sisters, that when we enjoy something, we cannot help but praise it. When we enjoy a thing, we cannot help but bubble up into song and praise it. Does not the lover have a song in his heart for the beloved? Does not the artist express in some way the thing he delights in? He paints, he sings, he praises that which he enjoys. And that is a powerful reality. 
I'm reminded not long ago, it was a couple years ago, there was this beautiful sunset out in the front of our yard and we lived across from a farm and it was just gorgeous. I mean, you, you had Technicolor, it was like, you know, coming out of the black and white Wizard of Oz thing into the, the Technicolor, beautiful sunset. And I ran back immediately because I just was breathtaking by it. I'm like, you've got to see this, honey. And I invited Clarissa. I wanted her to come see it. And I was praising it to her. Or if you've got your favorite movie and you cannot wait to share it, right? And you just start praising that movie. It's the best movie ever. This character's just on the money. And it's just soul-stirring. We cannot help praising that which we enjoy. And this psalm is summoning us to sing praises unto the Lord because our delight is in the Lord. Is that your heart? Is delight in God the food of your soul? Is song and singing in praise unto the living God coming from your lips. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians says this is what being filled with the Spirit looks like. It looks like singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody unto your heart, uh, in your heart unto the Lord. When's the last time you just had a song for someone? When's the last time you had a praise unto the Lord that you just proclaimed? To bless someone else. This is the, it's like the, the, the fuel that motivates gospel mission in our world. When you begin to sing and you begin to soar in the praise of God, you will begin to be motivated to go tell it on the mountain, over the hills in everywhere. Is that not what verse 2 says? Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. This is not a, a message that we merely sing. It is a message that we declare. And the content of the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was a king who was born in a manger. And he grew up as a man. And he had the power of the Spirit of God on him. And he lived a perfect life like no one ever did. He walked on water. He healed lepers. He gave sight to the blind. He unstopped the ears of deaf men. And he even touched men who were paralyzed and crippled and made them new. There was no one like this king. And then he came to the cross. And he was crucified for you and I. He bore our sins on his body on a tree. He was crushed for our iniquities. And he was bruised for us. He was whipped for us. He was chastised for us. He was mocked for us. And he was flogged with a cat of nine tails. And then he was strapped to a, or nailed to a cross. And that was just the human realities of torture and pain and suffering. He would take upon himself the very wrath of God for our sins and bear it on the tree. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken, brothers and sisters, that we might be forgiven and renewed and made alive through faith in him. We would be justified before God because we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and life came into you. That's your story if you're a Christian. And God calls us to go tell it on the mountain. He calls us to share the news and to declare it. To not be silent, but to proclaim and to declare his glory and his worth and his praise among the nations. What does it mean to declare the glory of the Lord? Verse 3. Declare the glory of the Lord among the nations and his marvelous works among the peoples. When we declare the glory of God, we're declaring the worth of God, the weightiness. That word is kavod in Hebrew. It means a weight. It has substance to it. It's not worthless like the idols. The idols are worthless. They're made of wood. They can't save anybody. They can't do anything. And anything else we trust, anything else we substitute in place of the living God has no weight. It has no worth. It's not worth your affection and your passion and your praise. Listen to Romans chapter 1 and what it has to say ultimately about. Turn with me, if you would, real quick to Romans chapter 1 and listen to what it has to say about this exchange. We exchange the worship of the true and living God for idols. That's the natural state of man. Verse 18 of chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We're naturally suppressing the truth about God and He's revealed Himself And we're exchanging it. Look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What's happening there? There's an exchange for that which is created We're exchanging the worship of the true and living God who created the heavens and the earth for that which is created. And beginning to bow down to things that have been made. And and listen, my friends, we in America have exchanged the truth of God for a lie and we are worshiping self. We are worshiping an idolatry the, the, the reality of self. Narcissism is the new pandemic in America. We are about ourselves. We're about our individualism. We're about us. And we've replaced the worship of the true and living God 
for the idol of what I want. We're feeding the me monster. I want what I want, and I'm going to get it, and I don't care about anybody else. I want to be liked on Facebook. I want my posts to be viewed a hundred thousand times. I want to be the next Justin Bieber. I want to be the next person who's got in, in the limelight. I want to be praised among my friends. I want to be popular in this world. The idolatry of self has taken the throne in the American culture. And it comes out in our media, right? American Idol. It's not an accident. American Idol. It's all about what you can become instead of praising the glory and the worth and the majesty of God. Listen to the reality of verse 4 and 5 and let it hit you because the reason we praise him and the reason we declare him and the reason we tell of his salvation from day to day is because verse 4 says for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and he's to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols but the Lord made the heavens there's nobody like him. There is nobody who is like the Lord. He is great and greatly to be praised. He's majestic. He's king of heaven and earth. And everything is under his power and his sway. When Jesus walked the face of the earth, what did the demons do but tremble before him? What did the wind do but obey him? What did the water do but allow him to walk on it? What did diseases do but flee? What did fevers do but depart? Because the inbreaking of King Jesus meant the restoration of the world. And those were glimmers that Jesus is Lord of all and he's king over everything and he is bringing salvation to a people. And brothers and sisters and friends and family members, if anything's going to be fixed in your hearts, if anything's going to be fixed in your souls, if anything that's bent is going to be made new, it is going to happen through faith in the Lord of all the earth. It's going to happen when you catch fire and you catch flame in the glories of Christ in the gospel. He was crucified for you. He was raised up for your justification. And you can only be renewed if you put your trust in him. There's no other way. There's no other hope. There's no other way to take the idolatry of yourself off the throne of your heart and replace it with Christ. That's what happens in the transaction of the gospel breaking into a human soul. You begin to praise God and a new song comes into your heart. That's why we praise him. That's why we sing. That's why we share this news. That's why we tell it from day to day. D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist of the 19th century, he was like the Billy Graham of his day. He was a shoemaker. And he turned evangelist and he began to preach the gospel 
But things didn't really change for him until he resolved in his heart, I am going to do what verse 2 says. I'm going to tell of the Lord's salvation from day to day. So he resolved that there would not be a day that he would not share the gospel with somebody. And so he would go out and preach the gospel at least once a day to somebody new. And I recall a story of him saying that one night he forgot. And it was storming and it was just, it was a mess outside. Nobody wanted to be outside, but he was panicking. He's vowed to the Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be faithful. And his ministry was blessed. And so he honored the Lord and he walked out into the night and he ran around looking for somebody to declare the gospel to. And it looked like it was hopeless. And then he gets to a train station and there's one poor soul there. And he runs up to him excited. There's somebody there to actually talk to. And he says, sir, do you know what it means to be saved? Do you know Christ? Do you know the gospel? Do you know you're a sinner on the way to hell needing rescue? Do you know that you can get help? That you can be forgiven? That you could be made new? And he talked to this man and it was like the Spirit of God was speaking straight through him to this man and he was brought into the kingdom that very night because D.L. Moody was faithful to proclaim of his salvation from day to day. That's the call. That's the missions-minded heartbeat of the church. That's the gospel resounding to every tribe, tongue, and nation to create a people. Did not Jesus say in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me among men. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. This is the heartbeat of Christ's mission for the church. This is not merely a psalm to be sung, but it's a mission and a commission we've been given. And at Smithfield Baptist Church or any other church that names the name of Christ in truth, this is our call. This is our joy. And brothers and sisters, I want this to be the joy brewing up in your hearts, that you would want to see sinners converted, that you would want to see people in Smithfield converted, that you would delight in sharing this news no matter what. It may be personally uncomfortable to share. It might be the timing just doesn't seem right. And yet D.L. Moody went out into the night and proclaimed the gospel in the rain. Brothers and sisters, when you catch fire to this, you will see what the Lord will do. You will see the miracle of grace breaking into hearts and sinners coming and baptisms happening because that is the heart of the church. And that is what the book of Acts, we see the church doing, giving attention to the ministry of the word and praying for the spirit of God to move. Let that be our hearts. And then we will begin to ascribe to the Lord the glory he's due. Point two, ascribe to the Lord the glory he's due. Look at verse seven. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. 
You just see the earth language, right? Earth, families of the peoples, the nations. This is a nations-minded message about summoning the world to ascribe the glory God is due. And it is in any wonder that the Apostle Paul said of sin, that sin is just failing to give God the glory he is due. It's failing to glorify God and to give him the worth and the praise and the affection and the thanksgiving that he's due. If he has made us, he is due this. And your soul will be disordered and withering until you catch that passion to ascribe glory to God. You'll move from being like ho-hum. This is just what we do, right? We come to church, we say a few words, we say a few prayers, but when you come before the Lord, your God, your maker, you come humbly, you come worshiping, you come bowing before the throne of heaven, and you taste and see the Lord is good. When you fall in love with glorifying God, you will fall in love with the Lord. When you fall in love with proclaiming and ascribing the glories of God and the excellencies of his worth. That's what worship means. His worthship. You're ascribing worth to the one who's due it all. Nobody in here is worthy of worthship. Nobody in here is worthy of praying to but the Lord. He's the one who made the heavens. He's the one who sent his son to bring a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will ascribe worth to the Lord. And then watch what the Lord will do in your souls. Do you feel weary? Do you feel like you've spiritually withered some? That you've lost the heartbeat of Christianity? You've lost the blazing center? Something's wrong. Something's not quite right. You have fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way to recover it is to recover the gospel afresh in your soul. To recover the good news. To remember and sing to the, sing to the Lord about the good news. That he sent his son to deal with your unworthiness. To deal with your lack of glorifying God. And he perfectly glorified God. He glorified the father in everything he did. And he glorified his son. Or he glorified the father in his death. And his death meant you could be made right before God. And even though you've fallen short, even though you failed to give God the glory, he is due. The gospel brings you back to a posture of ascribing glory and praise to the one whom it's due. Will you cry out afresh in your hearts? Oh, Lord, help me to ascribe glory and honor and praise and help me to summon the nations to this. Because notice, this is a summoning to the nations. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. So the psalmist is telling Israel or the people of God, which includes us, to, uh, 
tell the nations to ascribe glory to God. And the only way they're going to do it is if they receive God's king, whom he sent to die on a cross and rise from the dead to bring life to the world. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Did you hear it? Earth. Let earth receive her king. This is a global thing. This is a powerful thing. This is the thing that you should have stirring in your soul so that you will sing it and you will ascribe to the Lord the glory he's due and you will say among the nations, the Lord reigns. He's king and he's good, but you must tremble before him if you have not received his son. You must kneel and bow the knee before the Lord your God, your maker. Finally, there's consummation coming. In this psalm, there's kind of a, a climax happening. There's a building. There's a soaring towards this epic Mount Everest of this message. Let, verse 11, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now we see the psalm shifting, and it's envisioning the longing of all of creation for the coming judge who will restore order and balance and equity and life to all of creation. He will judge the world in righteousness. He has fixed a day that he is appointed to judge the world in righteousness. And then he also has fixed a day where he will restore the cosmos and every blade of grass will be restored. Every tree will sing the praises of God. And this is not just stuff in the Old Testament that's kind of buried and, and we've got to dust it off and bring it back out once in a while. This is stuff that gets carried into the New Testament. This is the kind of thing that Romans chapter 8 speaks of and, and, and talks about the waiting for the creation. The creation is longing and anticipating the redemption of God's people because something's going to happen to the creation. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now hear this. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. That's us. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. 
We are longing every sickness you experience, every tornado, every natural disaster, every pandemic is a groaning throughout creation, longing for the redemption of God to consummate, longing for the people of God to be redeemed and glorified and one day renewed. And brothers and sisters, one day you will shine like the sun radiant in the heavens and every blade of grass will stand renewed and all the trees will sing and the mountains will clap their hands and the peoples will rejoice and the nations will be brought to the worship of the true and living God and it will be a glorious day. It will be a day when new heaven and new earth come down and the universe is renewed and all who have rejected Christ will be put down and judged for all eternity because God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world and he will call his people from the four corners of the earth and he will renew them. And it'll be like the twinkling of an eye and all things will be made new and all the pains and the sufferings and the trials that you have endured will be wiped away. Every tear will be removed every suffering will be gone and you will be completely new that is a day I long for that is a day you long for in your bones that is a day that's coming that is a day that's envisioned here it's not just something out of a Lord of the Rings novel where the trees are talking and the mountains are clapping their hands no this will happen and this is why we must proclaim the gospel among the nations. Because unless the gospel reaches every tribe, tongue, and nation, the Lord will not come back. He will redeem a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And when he does, the Lord Jesus promised, then the end will come. Then the end will come. But there are peoples who are still not reached. There are people groups, thousands of people groups that have not been reached and have not heard the gospel and they're perishing in darkness because missions exist because the worship of God doesn't. And until the worship of God goes global, we will always have a mission. We will always have work and the work is not yet done. Will you glory in the work of salvation? Will you glory in that future day? Some of you are struggling with health conditions right now. You've been struggling and, and they're not going away. They're chronic and they're not going away. Take heart. One day they will go away. One day they will be renewed. If you're a child of God, that is your hope. And I think of Johnny Erickson Tata. She uh, was a quadriplegic. quadriplegic. She could not use her arms or legs. She's been in a wheelchair her whole life. And she came to Christ, faithful sister in the Lord, a bold witness for the gospel. But she envisions, um, she's endured, obviously, as you can imagine, much suffering, um, not being able to move, having hard seasons of suffering and discouragement and depression because her condition uh, is permanent until the Lord comes and makes her new. But she envisions this day 
where she will stand with new legs before the Lord and she will be looking at her, her, her wheelchair and she will thank the Lord for the suffering and thank the Lord for the things the Lord produced through that wheelchair, through the quadriplegic suffering that she went through, through the hardships and the deep depressions because she learned things about God that you can't learn in textbooks. You learn it in the school of suffering as you trust the Lord. And she will thank God for that. And then when she's renewed, she will turn around and she will look at that wheelchair and she will say, Lord, now you can send that thing straight to hell. Because she will be renewed. Because she will have no need. Because suffering will be gone. And brothers and sisters, this is the gospel being unleashed in a person's heart and transforming the way they think. And the reality of the coming kingdom does that in your heart. If you have eternity in view, it will transform your life here and now. If you have this news in view, it will transform the way you think. So you will sing to the Lord a new song. You will proclaim his glory from day to day. And you will look forward to the coming judge when he will restore all things. That is our hope. That is our joy. That is the message that we declare and the work is not done. Missions exist because the glory of God is not being proclaimed among the nations. It is not being, God is not being worshipped. He's not getting the honor he's due because there are still peoples who do not know Christ. Billions of them are perishing without hope. What will we do as a church? Smithfield. What will we do? Brothers and sisters online, what will you do? Will you fund missions? Will you say, I want to go on a mission? Will you say, I want to be the kind of person who is like Jim Elliott? He, who, he, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. What everlasting treasures did Jim Elliott get for sacrificing his life to be like a seed that fell and died and gave birth to a whole movement of missions around the world? Will you be the kind of person who will risk for the name of the Lord, who will go into hard places, who will go among the unreached peoples, who will be the one who holds the rope or sends financially or doing whatever the Lord has called you to do? Not everybody will go, but maybe some will go. Maybe there's one person in here who will have a burning desire to take the name of Christ to an unreached peoples. This is the glory of the Lord who reigns over all things and we take his name among the nations and there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this news. We thank you for missions we thank you that it's the heartbeat of the church proclaiming the gospel to lost people who do not know Christ. And Lord, if there are some even here who have been convicted afresh that they have not been glorifying God, they have not been living for you, they have, they have not been ascribing glory to you, they don't have a song in their heart. Their hearts seem quite dead, quite dry spiritually. And I pray, God, that they would be crying out in their souls right now. Lord, forgive me. Lord, renew me. Lord, awaken a passion for your name. Lord, awaken a, a passion to take the name of Jesus in the nations. 
Lord, would you renew our church? Would you revitalize it? Would you, would you send such electric energy through us that we could not help but go out in the power of God sharing the gospel, going and telling it on the mountain? Do this work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.